Welcome to the Beyond the Food Steps 6 and 7 Ask It Basket Workshop. My name is Angela. I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please, hi everyone. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off. To protect our anonymity, no photography or visual recording are allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. An Ask It basket is being circulated for the question and answer portion of this meeting. This meeting is being taped. If you enjoy this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tape table to order copies of this workshop or any other meeting. They are available on CD or as an electronic download. The format for this meeting is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 25 minutes of questions and answers. The topic for this session is Step 6 and 7. Our first speaker is Wendy, and our second speaker is Elaine. Okay, Wendy. Thank you, Angela, for your service. Uh, good morning. My name is Wendy, and I'm a real compulsive overeater. Very, very, very grateful to be here and very grateful to be absent today and appreciate very much the focus on this topic. I woke up this morning and, uh, and immediately had an awareness that I was speaking on 6 and 7 and it really grounded me. It gave me um, a chance to reflect to see what I might be struggling with today. Step 6 and 7 are my absent favorite steps and um, I believe that if I'm in a struggle today that I'm not in God's will and so it gave me a chance to take a look at what I'm struggling with today and, and to do some reflection that I might not have done to be honest if I wasn't doing this service today. So um, I've been asked to uh, share a little bit about my background and then talk about six and seven uh, and then sit down and listen. Um, I uh, am by the grace of God in the 12 steps. I've been absent since August 3rd, 1989. I used to weigh 194 pounds at my top weight. Um, I weighed myself on the scale today. I weighed 126 and a half um, pounds, so I maintain the 65 to 70 pound weight loss. I like to say 65 to 70 pounds because even when I'm in the low 20s, it's not like I'm always there that much. So, um, but a heck of a lot of weight for a heck of a long time. And I'm someone who was a fat child. Uh, I grew up with uh, compulsive reading parents, and was really happy my whole life until I came into Overeaters Anonymous and found the 12 steps and found uh, a power greater than myself. I don't have a lot of fat pictures because I never want anyone anywhere near me uh, with a camera. So the only one I really have is um, probably from 1987 or so, uh, maybe a couple of years before I came into recovery. I had flown back to Detroit to pick up an award for my company, and you know they took a photograph. So that's the only fat photo that I have. Um, so I'll pass that around. Um, but as I said, August 3rd, 1989, um, by the sure grace, grace of God and the 12 steps. So, 6 and 7. Um, you know, steps 4 and step 5 are about uh, courage and integrity. And uh, if you've done steps 4 and 5, I applaud you. Steps 4 and 5, I think, sometimes scare us, scared me. And, uh, you know, you hear people talk about the dreaded fourth step or the dreaded fifth step. And, you know, if you've gone through four and five, I, I, I congratulate you. I think step six and seven are two of the most important steps in the program. I think they're all equally important. But they're, to me, especially important because I have an inclination to step, skip right over them and get right into eight and nine. And step six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Um, you know, that's uh, that's... What I, it's about willingness, and am I willing? Because when I do four and five, and I start to hear some things about myself that I don't like, and I start to feel yucky, I immediately want to go into relief. And relief for me is make amends. You know, I did something wrong. I don't like the way, the way that feels. I want to go make amends for it. Six and seven slow me down. Six and seven get me into a place where I can be willing to be entirely ready to have my character defects removed and then later I can ask for that character defect to be removed because if I go right from five to eight and nine I could hurt somebody because I haven't changed I just want to say I'm sorry I just want to stop feeling yucky 
you know, steps eight and nine, if I don't do six and seven, are all about me feeling better um, and clearing up the wreckage of my past. And if I do six and seven, then I have a chance to see those character traits which have outlived their usefulness to me, you know, to be entirely ready to have them removed. I believe that all of my character defects at one time in my life were assets. And much like I took food and overate, I took everything else in my life and overdid it. So that sense of thoughtfulness and caring and nurturingness that I have, which is really a lovely asset, I can take to extremes and I can rob another human being of their opportunity to do things for themselves. I have a very strong work ethic. I'm from the Midwest. I have very um, good work ethic, but I can take that to an extreme, and I can be a workaholic, and I can lose myself in my work. So those things no longer serve me. And in step six, I have to be willing um, to have God remove all these defects of character. Step six gives me an awareness of, of who I am today and who I can be and of my true essence. And I'm a big lover of the big book. Um, a lot of the answers for me are in this book. But surprisingly, there's only one sentence on step six, and there's a seven-step prayer, and that's it. Um, so I'm a big fan when it comes to six and seven of the OA 12 and 12, because the OA 12 and 12 is very, very rich. And, you know, we're lucky to have it. When I first came to OA, we didn't have the OA 12 and 12. And I want to read a couple passages from the book, um, because when I say, if I read something out of the book, it's probably good stuff. If it's my opinion, take what you like and leave the rest. Um, now, I'll tell you the page numbers just in case. I hate it when someone reads something and I don't know how to find it later if it hits you. Um, on page 53 in the 12 and 12, it says, In practice, step six turns out to be one of the most difficult of the 12 steps because saying we're entirely ready and being entirely ready are two different things. What we are entirely ready for actually is to have the difficulties our defects cause us removed while we hang on to the defects themselves. I don't know about you, but that really fits for me. I have no desire to give up excess food. I just don't want to weigh 194 pounds anymore. No. I have no desire to give up um, the awards and the recognition and the accolades I get for being a workaholic. I just want to have a life and have balance and not be a workaholic. So I, being willing is, is really a, is the key for me. Um, on page 57, also in the OA 12 and 12, it says, a willingness to change is the essence of step six. Change is always frightening, even when it's much needed and long overdue change for the better. Many of us have wasted years and suffered a lot of pain in order to avoid having to change. As we face step six, we recognize and acknowledge our human fear of change. Then, because we are willing to go to any length for recovery and from compulsive reading, we move ahead with this step anyhow. No longer will we fear to keep us. What, excuse me. No longer will we allow fear to keep us from doing what is best for us. I love that. And then the other thing I wanted to read is on page uh, 55 where it says, the harder we try to rid ourselves of our defects, the more they control us. And I don't know about you, but that really was true for me. I mean, the more I, I, I controlled my weight all the way up to 194 pounds, and I wasn't any taller then than I am now. I'm 5'4 now. I was 5'4 at 194 pounds. I was not height the weight proportionate. Controlling my foods just helped me gain weight. Trying to control um, some reactive behavior in my marriage or trying to control a situation at work it just made it get worse. In step six, I have to learn to be willing to have God remove all these defects of character. And, you know, I came in here a devout atheist, so God was hard for me. Um, but even if it's just good orderly direction or some other um, a form of a higher power, I have to be willing to turn uh, my character defects over to that God. And um, there is one thing that it says on page, um, the one thing it says in the big book on page 76 about step six is we have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. We are now ready to let God remove from us all things which we have admitted are objectionable. Can he now take every one of them? Can he now take all of them, every one? If we still cling to something, we will not let go of. We ask God to help us be willing. Um, one of the tools that's helped me a lot when I'm trying to um, become willing to be willing to be willing to give up a character defect is to sometimes write about first why I'm not willing to get rid of that character defect. And I'll, I'll use weight now that everything in life is about weight. This session is called Beyond the Food and it should be Beyond the Weight too. But if I have 
five pounds or 15 pounds or some increment of weight that I'm not letting go of or a particular food that I'm not letting go of, I'll write about why, heck no, I'm not going to let go of this. It's serving me. This is what I'm getting out of it. I'm getting a sense of relief at the end of the day or it's a punctuation mark at the end of the day or if I lose a little bit more weight, I'll be too sexual or whatever it is. If I write about, no, I am not giving up this character defect. I'm not giving up this issue. I'm hanging on to it for dear life. And I write about how it serves me then I can flip that around and I can write about, oh, I am entirely ready to have God remove this character defect. Sometimes I have to embrace why I'm not willing before I can actually release it and be willing to have God remove that character defect. So that's what I know about step six. Um, step seven um, is humbly ask God him to remove our shortcomings. And I love step seven because, as I said, if I'm struggling and I'm, I'm a control freak, uh, I'm a triple winner. I'm in multiple programs. And, you know, I want to run the show. I want to control things. I, I think I know what's best. I think I know, God forbid, what's right. And um, so I want to go in that direction. And so step seven is really good for me because if I'm struggling to make something happen or to keep something from happening, God is not in that equation. That's all about Wendy and that's all about self-will run riot. So step seven for me is the absence of struggle. That's how I see it in my life. The, the principle of the program is humility. But in terms of the practical uh, conveyance of it for me personally, it's um, getting out of the struggle. And the only thing that it has in the big book on step seven is the seven-step prayer. And I thought maybe we could all, if people have it or you have it memorized, maybe we could say it all together. If not, I'll read it. But I really welcome anybody who wants to join in. If you've got your big book, it's on the top of page 76. Okay. Second paragraph, actually. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me. I'm in bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single piece of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Wow. Thank you. That's really nice to hear that all read together. For me, being humble and asking God to remove my shortcomings is to allow me to be of greater service to a higher power and to live a more spiritual life. Two things that I didn't want to have anything to do with when I first came in here. I just didn't want to be obese. And I just didn't want to have people make fun of me and make cruel comments and think that they could comment on my weight size anymore. The last thing in the world I wanted to do was be of service to a higher power that I didn't understand. But I really read the stuff today that my character defects are not removed so that Wendy H. can have a great life beyond her wildest dreams. I do have a life beyond her wildest dreams, but that's not the intent. The intent is so that I can have more of a connection to the sunlight of the spirit, so that I can have more of a connection to a higher power, so that I can have more of an intuitive thought and I can actually be of service and um, be a, one amongst my fellows, which is a real gift for me today because I was quite the isolator. I was the person who talked about in the 12 and 12, unplugged the phones and committed the drapes and isolated. Um, it talks a little bit in the literature about asking our character defects to be transformed into assets, and I like that. And again, for me, I believe most of my character defects were in fact assets that served me well as a child or as an adolescent that stopped serving me somewhere along the way because I took them to extremes. And if I can um, <coughs> ask God to help me transform them back to assets, um, that's really wonderful. Um, I need to pray for an attitude of humility. I need to remember to surrender and to just be a child of God. And uh, I try really hard because I'm a, a self-critical person, like I think most compulsive readers or anorexics or bulimics are. I try really hard to frame things, not in black and white today, but as an act in progress. So I try to affirm that I am becoming an honest person or I'm becoming a nurturing person. Or creativity is something that um, I've never really found in my uh, life until recently, and so you see people in rooms and they're crocheting beautiful things and they're doing great things during meetings. I wouldn't have a clue how to do that. And, and recently I started taking pottery, which I am particularly bad at, apparently. Um, but I'm trying to affirm that, you know, uh, in six weeks I don't have to have it mastered, so I'm retaking the class so that I, because I'm becoming 
more creative or I'm allowing myself to become more creative. Um, and I know that creativity isn't a character defect, but, you know, just the assets that I have to try to affirm that they are growing with God's help and um, that I don't have to shame myself about the character defects that I do have. I've gone through some really rough stuff at work lately where I didn't handle everything beautifully. And I was in a little bit of a power struggle with someone who was quite abusive. And, you know, you can't be in a power struggle all by yourself. I had a role in that. And so I really tried to get out of the shame and try to remind myself that I did the best that I could. I, I did writing. I shared it with my sponsor. And then I had to do six and seven around it, you know, before I could even think about eight and nine. Um, so I'm striving to become a better person today. And I am becoming a better person today. And my character defects still come back. It talks about that in the 12 and 12, too. It says, if I'm surprised when a character defect comes back, I lack humility. Because they will keep coming back. They come back less frequently. They come back less intensely, and when they come back, they're not around as long, thank goodness. And I have the steps I know how to work around them and um, call my sponsor and do the work I need to do and be with God so that I can um, be relieved of those character defects. Um, there is on the, I want to read a couple more things out of the literature and tell a story or two, and then I'll wrap up. Um, on page 63 in the OA 12 and 12, it's what my sponsor calls the instructions to step seven. And I never looked at them that way until I heard her say that. She didn't say it to me. I heard her say it in a meeting, and I marked it down. I've always remembered it, and it's true. I never looked at page 63 this way before. On the bottom of that page, it says, We fully acknowledge and accept the shortcomings as belonging to us. We then examine our motives and the effect this problem is having on our lives until we are sure we're ready to let go of it. We acknowledge our powerlessness to remove the defect ourselves and humbly ask God to take it from us. Then we get up, we go on with our life in a new frame of mind, knowing that God will indeed remove this shortcoming. Isn't that amazing? It tells me exactly what to do. I acknowledge, I accept, I look at my motives and what it affects, I humbly ask God to take it from me, and then I really love this, I don't dwell on it, I don't sit in it, I get up and I get on with my life, which I'm pretty sure means eight and nine. Um, and uh, knowing that God will remove the shortcoming, I just think that's so um, wonderful. Um, another thing I'd like to share about Step 7 is, for me, ceremony and tradition um, and those kinds of things are taking on a much greater importance in my life today than they used to. And I've, I've seen many people do wonderful things around Step 7. And I just want to throw it out as a possibility and also ask if anyone else has done something around Step 7 that is ceremonial, that is the releasing of the character defects to God. Um, I've seen people write them down on paper and then do a little prayer and burn them one by one. Um, I had a sponsor years ago who wrote them down on biodegradable paper, and one by one we sat by a river with a strong current, and she would um, say the defect, do a little prayer, and then release it into the river. Pull up the defect, say a little prayer, and then release it into the river. It was just lovely. Um, I've heard of people you know, attaching them to rocks and, and throwing them in a large body of water. I've heard of people putting them in healing balloons and releasing them to the air. Anything that's, that's a symbolic and a literal gesture to God to take these character defects from me, I think is a beautiful tool that if anyone wants to embrace, I encourage you to embrace it. And I just wanted to ask, has anybody else done anything? Um, and I'll just repeat it so that it's on the tape. Has anyone else done anything ceremonial with Step 7 to release their character defects that they wanted to share? Okay. Um, well, I just think it's great if, if anybody has anything else that they want to um, share. Um, how much time do I have, Tim? Sorry? Scott? Seven minutes? Okay. Um, I'm just going to ask everybody, that we'll do this real fast because quiet on the tape is not going to do very well. But can I ask everybody just to um, close your eyes for a minute and think of a person that you admire, that you respect, that you admire, that you look up to, that... Um, is a role model for you, whatever adjective you want to put on it. And just think of two things about that person that you admire or you respect. Um, just two. Because, again, I don't want to have any silence on the tape. Two things that you admire or respect or appreciate or you look up to someone for. Okay? Do most people have somebody in their mind? Do you have a couple traits in your mind? Okay. What I want to encourage you to look at is that you have those same traits that you just thought of for that person that you admire or that you respect. 
You know, we say it all the time. We couldn't, we couldn't recognize something in someone that we didn't like if we didn't have it ourselves. We say that all the time in program, right? Well, I want to suggest the reverse is true. We could not see something in someone that we admire unless we had it in ourselves, too. You know, the kids have it right. You know, little kids have it right when they say, it takes one to know one. Well, if you're admiring something about somebody, it's because you've got some of that in you, too. And I would applaud you to look at that and to look at those strengths that you're asking God to remove certain character defects, to also acknowledge the things that you have that are wonderful. Because I believe that recovery affords us the opportunity and, in fact, challenges us to be all that we can be, to be all that we were intended to be, our true godlike selves as opposed to um, the, uh, the, the wounded, self-limiting, self-loathing child that I was, an adolescent that I was, and first in my, my um, 20s that I was. Um, I want to share one story, and then I'll stop. And I have five minutes, so I'm going to wrap up a little bit earlier, I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, next week, and I'm very, very fortunate, I'm going to go to uh, a retreat in, um, in uh, Tahoe, and I'm going to hear a guy named Sandy B. Sandy B. is a wonderful speaker, uh, in my opinion, and he's very spiritual. He's got twice as much recovery and, and uh, longevity as I do, and a hundred times more in terms of spirituality and growth. But he told, uh, he's told a story at an international conference a number of years ago about dropping the rock. I don't know if any of you have ever heard about dropping the rock. But the essence of dropping the rock is that, that I as a compulsive overeater and that those of us as compulsive overeaters, we have these character defects. We have these rocks that um, not only do we have them, but we hang on to them. At least I do. There are things that don't serve me well. Might have served me well when I was 13, might have served me well when I was 35, doesn't serve me well today, that I still hang on to. And they weigh me down. And in Overeaters Anonymous, the 12 steps in God tell me that I can drop the rock and I can be happy and I can be joyous and I can be free. But when you tell me that if I just drop the rock, I'll be happier, I very seldom want to do that initially because, well, it's like, it's my rock. It's my character defect. It's my obsession with excess food. Or it's my obsession that I need to um, be overly responsible for someone at work and take care of them. It's my value system that's not working for me. Whatever it is, it feels comfortable to me. I've nourished it. I've watered it. I've made it bigger than life. And it's a really big, heavy rock weighing me down. And it's hard to get rid of. And what Sandy talks about is if we work steps six and seven, we can drop the rock. We can get out of the struggle. And the image that I have for that is I'm a water skier, and when the boat first starts to pull you out of the water and you're in the water, you're totally submerged in water, and there's a resistance at first. But then all of a sudden you shoot out of the water, and you're just light, and you're on top of the water. Well, that's what's happened for me in the last 21 years, almost, excuse me, 20 years and nine months. Anytime I have dropped a rock, excess food that wasn't working for me, a way to eat that wasn't working for me, a character defect that wasn't working for me anymore. I just shoot out of the water, light, happy, joyous, and free, and I look behind me like, what the heck was I hanging on to that rock for? I've never dropped a rock that I've regretted later. I said, oh, let me have that rock back. That felt really good lugging that around. Just the opposite. I can't figure out what took me so long. Because I am resistant. I have to have my sponsor tell me once or twice, write about it, work the steps around it. So um, that's what I know on six and seven, and I believe by the grace and I, by the grace of God and the twelve steps that today I can either act out on my character or I can act on my defects. And today, to the best of my ability, I hope that I act on my character. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. Our next speaker is Elaine. Thank you very much, Angela, and thank you, Wendy. <clears throat> My name is Elaine, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi. And to give you a little bit of my history in OA, um, this program is, a, is uh, the rock of my foundation. I am 55, and I came into program when I was 23 in 1978, and I continue to come to OA because I need it and because I want what the program gives me. I, my top weight, while I was in OA, I reached my top weight, was in the 180s, and my current weight is in the 120s. So I am maintaining about a 60-pound weight loss. And I, too, was a, a chubby baby, chubby 
kid, chubby teenager, and um, I was requiring more and more of my food, my drug of choice, food, to um, get the hit that I was looking for when I was compulsively overeating. And I was a sneak eater and a closet eater and stole food. Um, uh, garden variety compulsive overeater. And I'm really happy to be maintaining a normal weight. And I've been maintaining a normal weight for a long time. So I don't get the, the, um, the applause and um, praise that I used to because this is, people know me at this weight and this is the way I was. When I was losing weight, it was quite a high to have people observing me losing weight and praising me. The one exception to that is my grandmother who died <coughs> oh, maybe nine years ago now. Um, she knew me as, as a, a chubby kid and a normal weight adult, and she would always say, Wow, you are the captain of your ship. And um, I didn't argue with her. I knew I'm. Not, <laughs> I know I'm not the captain of my ship, but um, but uh, I wasn't into trying to change a 100-year-old woman's mind about you know why why I'm able to maintain the normal weight. But I know that it's because uh, some the magic of the program, and to me it is to be to be able to abstain from compulsive overeating. Freedom from compulsive overeating sort of is like magic. Like when you have a dream that you're flying, and I don't know if you've had that, people here had flying dreams where you're flying in the dream. To me, it's like magic. And um, and when I was first in OA, uh, the the concept of, of being able to stop compulsively overeating and um, be free from food obsession, which is really the magic, was beyond my comprehension, and I and I didn't understand. I didn't get. I could not make the connection between OA working the steps and freedom from compulsive overeating, and. I, because I was desperate, I was willing to keep coming back and experience now for a long time, for the most part, freedom from compulsive overeating. And I've been changed from the inside out. Step six and seven, as we know, because Wendy told us, but I will reread them because I need to hear them. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. For me, these two steps also are one of the the most important parts of my program today and ongoing and daily. And what they mean to me um, has to do with my thinking. To me, this is the new frontier of recovery. I have certain behaviors, but those be that are character defects that hurt myself or hurt hurt other people, and they are based on my thoughts. Actually, I want to back up a little bit. When I first started thinking about what do I want to say about step six and seven, like what is what what is it? I had to think about, well, what are character defects? And, and I also went back to steps four and five. And um, in the AA Big Book, which I rely on quite a bit, it took, talks about the, our defects of character being those things that block us from being a channel for our higher power. I'm paraphrasing, but the things that block us, the bondage itself, um, anything that um, makes it impossible for me to either feel like I'm connected to my higher power or to express uh, my higher power's will. And um, I, I like that exercise that you just had us do, Wendy. I, I, um, I thought about someone who I, I admire and I look up to and the two traits that I thought of about him are his intellect and hard work. 
and it and it brought tears to my eyes a little bit to to be told, well, those are character traits of yours because if I believe my thinking, I'm stupid, I'm slow, I'm boring. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I have um, a pretty constant uh, voice in my mind telling me mean things. And I don't think that's that unusual, but for me as a, an addict, um, if I, it's one thing to have those thoughts and it's, it's another thing to believe them. And what I do is I believe those thoughts. I'll, I believed it for years when this voice in my head said, just eat this, you'll feel better. Eat this, you'll feel better. And um, I would overeat, I would eat and overeat and feel terrible on a daily basis. I would binge to the point of discomfort every night. And yet, on a daily basis, I would hear that little voice that said, just eat this, you'll feel better, and I would believe it. And um, through the love of this program and working the steps, something internally in me changed and heard that voice and said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I've heard that before. I don't believe it. And I became willing to go through the pain of abstaining from compulsive overeating. The pain of abstaining from compulsive overeating was more attractive to me than the pain of compulsive overeating. And that's what happened internally, the change that took place, that I became willing to experience the pain of not compulsively overeating with, with a blind faith that the, that, that the pain of not compulsively overeating would be less than the pain of compulsively overeating. It's pretty simple. It's like, um, here's a, a balance. Okay, pain of compulsively overeating. Pain of not compulsively overeating. So I had to, I had to compulsively overeat consciously in OA for not as long as some people. I feel very fortunate that my last relapse in OA was in like was in 1979 and I haven't been since then. It's the same thing with my thinking and my character defects. If I have a thought in my mind that I'm stupid and I believe that thought, it will affect my behavior. It will cause me to treat myself certain ways and treat others certain ways. So to get down to the, the nuts and bolts of how I work this, these steps, I'll tell you about how I was taught to work them. When I was taking my fifth step with my sponsor, uh, I was reading what I had written based on the AA description of steps four and five. So that would be, I was writing about resentments, I was writing about fears, and I was writing my sex inventory. And as I was reading those things, she was writing, and this took hours, reading my, my inventory. And um, it took hours in several sessions. And at the end of the last session, she handed me this sheaf of papers with all her notes that she had been taking, taking. And she said, what I've been writing are the old thoughts that I heard you expressing as you read to me your four-step inventory. Um, one of those old thoughts, I'm stupid. I want you to take two, ten of those thoughts. And she had probably a hundred or more that she had heard while I was reading my inventory to her. She, said, she told me to pick ten of them and subject them to the following questions. And she had four questions for me to subject each old thought to. The first question was, is it true? Is it true that I'm stupid? Usually, my thought, my answer to that would be, yeah, it's true, I am stupid. And uh, she, she didn't want me to answer it in the way that I thought I should answer it. She wanted me to answer it honestly. This is a meditation. What do you really believe? The point of this is, what, what do you really believe inside you? What's true for you? This isn't pretending to be a spiritual person, which I'm really good at. This is what is true for you. Are you a stupid person? Yes, I am. The next question is, can you absolutely know that it's true? 
can I absolutely know that I'm a stupid person? Do I have the big picture? Do I have the perspective that God does? Do I know all the answers? No, I don't. Honestly speaking, because of OA or just because of an inherent belief in myself, I do believe it's true that I do not have the the big picture. So no, I cannot absolutely know that it's true that I'm a stupid person. And the third question is, how do you react when you believe the thought, I'm a stupid person? This is where the character defects really come in because how I react is I hate myself, I hate other people, I want to stay away from other people, I don't take classes, I'm afraid to talk. I, if, uh, if I notice other people who, I'm very judgmental about other people's intellect, I might say to someone just without thinking, that was stupid. I, my character defects come out. When I believe the thought that I'm stupid, it affects my entire experience of life. And the last question is, who would you be without the thought? That one's a hard one for me sometimes because I, I can't really imagine being free of the thought, you are stupid. And I know that sounds harsh, and that's why this is so much of a meditation and answering what's true for me. Sometimes my answer to the question, who would you be without the thought, is just, uh, I just feel blank. But I'm realizing that feeling blank is, is sort of like feeling peaceful. It's just like I'm open, I'm blank, I don't know who I would be. I'm open to whatever the universe shows me. A big part of my recovery has has been to to realize that just being open to to a higher power or whatever your word is for um, a power greater than yourself is enough. Sometimes. And I, of course, still think, and, but, but have come from a place where I thought I had to have all the answers and I had to have it together. I had to be able to answer every question. And, and it's so freeing to be able to say, I don't know. I'm, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what to do next. And just keep an open mind. So that's how my sponsor instructed me to work steps. It's to subject, choose ten of the old thoughts that she wrote as she was listening to my fifth step and subject them to these four questions. Now, um, my thought would be, well, what good is that going to do? How does that, you know, I want to get better. I want to be a better person. I want to be happier. That's why I'm coming to these meetings. I want to be a happier person. And I'm finding that that more and more quickly I'm aware of what my thinking is when I'm usually what happens for me is I I, I, the first thing that I notice is some kind of physical reaction to something that's going on I'm feeling tense or embarrassed or I want to get up and get away I notice a physical reaction and so I'm able and willing to say hmm I think I, I, I I must be having some thought that I'm believing and it's, it's really pretty exciting to just say, oh, I'm having some thought. I feel terrible. And, and it's a prayer to me. It's like, God, I feel terrible. I must be having some thought. I'm believing. What is it? And um, usually something comes to mind. Oh, you're believing that it shouldn't be this way. It, the thought can be that general. It's just like life should not be like this. Is it true that life should not be like this? Yes. You know, people should not cut me off in traffic. It is true. Can you absolutely know that it's true that people should not cut you off in traffic? Well, actually, I don't know. I don't have the big picture. I don't know. Maybe they're going to the hospital. <laughs> maybe they're about, they're about to have a baby. Or maybe, 
You know, I really don't know. I mean, the, pic the picture is much bigger than that even. How do you react when you believe the thought, people shouldn't cut me off in traffic? I'm a very tense driver. I'm quite aggressive. I'm, I might cut someone else off. I might get competitive on the road. I might drive dangerously. I'm not in the moment. I'm not enjoying the music on the radio or just, I'm not just, I'm just unhappy and un uncomfortable in my body. That thought, it has an, a domino effect. It affects every area of my life immediately. So, as I'm doing this exercise, looking at my thoughts, I notice that I'm much more quickly, I have 10 minutes, thank you, much more quickly able to notice when my thoughts are um, having a negative effect on my experience in the moment. I'm, and sometimes all I need to say is, I'm having a thought, please help me, and I feel better. One of the things about this exercise for me is, is trusting that... Um, that I don't have the big picture, that I can be happy regardless of what my outer circumstances are, and that as I go through this, not that my life outer circumstances are going to be better, although it seems kind of that is what happened, but I was laid off from my job eight months ago, and um, I, I need to do a lot of work on my thinking about that. I have extreme fear of financial insecurity. One of my thoughts that comes up, and, and I'm not saying that doing this work makes the thought go away forever, but one of my thoughts that comes up um, regularly is you're never going to get a good job. You're never going to make as much money. You're never going to make good money again. And to work with that thought and question it, I don't know what the big picture is. I don't know... What the, what the outcome will be, but I need to keep working on my thoughts, otherwise I will just, I, what happens is that I'm immobilized and I can't be there for other people, I can't do service, I, I'm miserable in the moment. It's, it's that um, comparison act again, how do I react when I believe the thought how, what is it like when I don't when I don't believe the thought? Hmm. That's when step seven happens. It's not for me. My understanding or my experience, my my understanding of how step seven works is not that that God comes along and uh, knocks me on the head and renders me you know free. It's I need to experience on a gut level what it's like with the thought, what it's like without the thought. Just like with the food, what it's like with compulsively overeating, what it's like without compulsively overeating. I think I would like to wrap up there. Thank you very much for being here and helping me in my recovery. Thank you, Elaine, and thank you both, Wendy and Elaine, for your service. Um, the remainder of the time, the speakers will draw questions from the Ask It basket, and I don't have an order, guys. Where's the basket? Yeah. At one meeting, both speakers stood at the microphone and were right there, and, and it just went really fast. Yeah. Yes, exactly. What is the garden variety compulsive overeater? Oh. <laughs> Hi, Wendy. I'm a real compulsive overeater. I just want to say something before I answer this. Um, some people love Ask a Basket. For me, I'll tell you why it makes me uncomfortable. Because I'm an expert on Overeaters Anonymous. And I barely am an expert on my own story. So I just want to say this once up front for me, just in case there's a newcomer in the room. I'm sure all of you know this, but 
I'm not an expert on Overeaters Anonymous, nor am I on Step 6 and 7 or anything I'm about to say. So please take what you like and leave the rest. Um, what is a garden variety compulsive reader? For me, I want to be the biggest and the best at everything, including the biggest compulsive reader. You know what I mean? There's some part of me that either always thinks I'm different or has an ego that wants me to be different. So I always say I'm a real compulsive reader because it talks about me in the big book. But I'm absolutely a garden variety compulsive reader. I didn't do anything that somebody else hasn't already done. I don't have any unique features. I'm not special. I'm just truly one amongst my fellows. I'm just a garden variety compulsive reader. Just like in the A, they call it a garden variety drunk. There's nothing unique or special about what I did. I just abused myself with food because I didn't know any other way. That's how I take it. I think I used that phrase, and I'll just say that um, it's whatever you are. (laughs) How about that? This is a good question. I like it. How to handle impatience. Someone once said something that I thought was so true. There's no such thing as patience. There's either impatience or you don't care. What do you do if you're not willing to have God remove the character defect? Well, again, the best thing I know to do, because it's worked for me, is is to write about why, heck no, I am not letting God have this character defect. I like this one. So I literally would write down on a piece of paper, I am not willing to have God remove the character defect of control or gossip or workaholism or whatever. And then I would write about why I love that character defect and why I think it serves me. And I get that all down on paper. And then I can start to do um, some work around seven and, and more six where I can pray for the willingness to be willing to be willing to have God remove my character defects. What about beyond the food? When? Where? How? Yeah, it's true that um, with this disease, it's pretty pervasive. And we have to eat several times a day and shop and cook. Um, I found that, that all of the steps address the rest of life. And when, as I'm ready to put down the food and look at other areas of life, the steps are how I do that. That's what I meant at the beginning when I said that this is, that you are my rock and foundation, that that the 12 steps are a way to, to deal with the difficulties of life. Uh, when you participate in a defect, what do you do? Um, well, first of all, when I'm aware that I have a character defect, the most important thing I can do is just acknowledge it to myself, to another human being, and to God. I mean, I just kind of have to go back to five and, and start there. Um, and then uh, if I'm told about five or six times to write about it, I will eventually write about it. Writing is just, it's a tool that I love to suggest to my sponsors. It's a tool that I hate to use myself. I'm not a good writer. But if I'm in the middle of a character defect and I'm aware of it, um, then, you know, if I'm able to write about it, I can write about it. But if I'm in the moment and I'm in the middle of a conversation, then the best thing I know to do is to just pray right then to God. And to say, God, I'm experiencing this character defect and I'm overwhelmed by it. I don't know how to get out of this. Please help me. To just almost surrender right there in the moment to the character defect. And then to try to take the contrary action, even if I'm faking it, even if I think this person's a complete jerk, I can do the resentment prayer later. I can at least stop the damage of whatever it is I'm doing to harm the other person with my defect right then. And I can you know, pray for the willingness to act as if, change my behavior, take the contrary action, and then I might have to do some follow-up work later, but that's what I think I would do. I'd like to address that question, too. There's an important spiritual teacher for me, and someone once asked, and she she is very much into questioning her thoughts, which, as I said before, to me, my character defects are based on my thoughts. So if I'm experiencing a character defect, it's because I'm having some thought that I'm believing 
and someone asked her, does that mean you never have any stressful thoughts? And she said, no, I have them all the time. I just don't believe them. Do steps six and seven always get worked together? Do you need six and seven if you do a thorough tenth step daily? To me, step six and seven are how I work my tenth step. So maybe you, Wendy, have something more to say about that? Um, I was, it was suggested to me early on that the steps are in order for a reason. And so I don't know how you can be doing it, a thorough daily 10th step if you haven't done 6 and 7. I don't know how you get to 10 without having to gone through 6 and 7. And then the 10th step absolutely is often, you know, a 4 through 9 sort of combined together. So um, I think that 6 and 7, I said this before, but I'll just say it again. I think they're often overlooked. They weren't part of the original 6 Oxford group principles. And so I think that's maybe why there wasn't more originally in the big book about them. And I think they're really, really important steps. And I do believe that all the steps are of equal importance. Um, and so I think it's important to have steps six and seven and not just go to ten. Do they have to go together? No, but one should follow the other. Because if I'm just sitting there on step six and I'm resting on my laurels and I'm not continuing to move forward. And I don't, I don't believe that um, 10, 11, and 12 are the maintenance steps. I don't want to maintain. I want to keep growing. I want the spiritual growth. So 10, 11, and 12 are spiritual growth steps for me. So I don't want to just do six or just do seven or just do 12. I want to keep, sorry, throwing the basket around. Um, I want to, I'm passionate today. I want to, <laughs> I want to um, keep going through the steps and then go back to them again and then go back to them again because I just think life is beyond my wildest dreams and I, don't, I get in my own way. So I need to do six and seven and eight and et cetera, et cetera. Those are all the questions in the Ask It basket. Do people have any other questions that they'd like to throw out from the floor? has a question, if, even if somebody has a suggestion for how to do six and seven or something else you wanted to share, I mean, we could take a group conscience, I guess, and end early, um, but we do have lots of time if somebody else wanted to. Can we take a group conscience and turn off the tape? Yeah. Ah. Do we have the ability to turn off the tape? Okay. How many people would like to turn off the tape and continue the meeting? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Looks like most people. So I don't know what the mechanism is for turning off the tape. Turn off the microphone. Yeah, the voice activated. David came and said that uh, as long as we were talking, it was going to tape. So unless David's listening to it, um, I don't know how to turn it off. Maybe walk away from the microphone. It's really sensitive, though. I mean, you can hear all of the other I'm glad. And we apologize for anyone listening to the tape that's hearing all of this. <laughs>